This morning as we uh, prepare to hear the word preached, I would invite you to join me in this prayer for illumination. The whole reason we do this prayer is because we assume that most of us come uh, not eager to hear from God. We have busyness in our lives, our hearts are distracted, uh, and so to come and to really be in God's presence, to hear from Him can be a challenge, and so that's why we pray. We pray for God to meet us in that moment. So pray with me. God of love and power, you are revealed to us in your word, in accounts of prophecy and fulfillment that direct our attention to Jesus Christ. Illumine us in now as we hear your word proclaimed, that we may open our hearts to him, yearn for his coming in glory, and serve him with joy. Amen. We are going to uh, continue in our series in Isaiah. We are reading uh, each of the four weeks of this Advent series in Isaiah 9, uh, verses 6 and 7. So please follow along as I read this portion of, of God's word from the prophet Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God to us. Join me together in reading. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. On Thursday night, uh, my family and I did something uh, rather unusual for us. We sat around the TV and watched the uh, evening news. It's not something we normally do, but we wanted to hear the latest updates about the fires in L.A. and in Ventura County. Devastating images, unbelievable destruction. And there was a long segment uh, with video and, and photos and interviews of just heartbreaking uh, stories of, of destruction. That was followed immediately by a story of a high-profile congressman resigning because of inappropriate behavior with women. And we were told that he's, he's not the first or the last, that there will be more to come. That was followed by a story about a shooting at a school in New Mexico that took the life of two students. Finally, it came to commercial, and my wife and I looked at each other, and we just shook our heads. It, it, it was just such a, an overwhelming experience to hear the news in that moment. The author, Walter 
Wengeren Jr. penned these words, God is coming, God is coming. All the element we swim in in this existence echoes ahead the advent. God is coming. Can you feel it? On Thursday night, after watching one depressing story after another, my reply is, no, I cannot. I'm just being honest with you. This, I, I know you don't want to hear a pastor say such a thing, but in that moment, I was overwhelmed with the darkness, and I couldn't see God coming. And maybe you've been in that place. Maybe you've experienced that. And what I want to do this morning as we look at Isaiah's prophecy is to not stand up here on a pedestal and proclaim something that is really hard for me to believe at times. I want instead to sit next to you and hear Isaiah's words with you and to hear the hope that he offers us this morning. Isaiah was speaking to a group of people a lot like us surrounded by darkness. Uh, Nothing was going according to plan. They were threatened with an invasion of a foreign army. Their lives were crumbling down around them. And Isaiah was speaking hope in the midst of the darkness. If you're a U2 fan, you probably uh, have already been listening to their new album that came out recently. Uh, Songs of Experience. Now, I read a few reviews of the album online, and here are some of the headlines. U2 Songs of Experience is a grading pep talk. Another one, U2's Songs of Experience, cynicism not included. Uh, The whole point of the reviews had to do with U2's attempt to counter the anger, despair, and cynicism of 2017 with insistent, with insistent optimism. Uh, the, the reviews went on to uh, talk about how U2, for more than 30 years, has been a provider of can-do uplift, but songs of experience reaches a new level, reckless cheer. And as Bono proclaimed in the Times, it's defiance in dark times. But what the reviewer was arguing was saying that U2's hope was a can-do pep talk. Turn in, look into yourself. You can decide to have a good attitude in the midst of the darkness. Now, I've not listened to the whole album. I've not analyzed the lyrics. I don't know if that's a fair review of what U2 was doing. But I do know that's a common theme among many in our culture around this time of year, Christmas. Look within and realize that you can make things better. One article in the New York Times put it this way, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. But Isaiah is offering a different kind of hope. See, that's a hope that turns inward and says it's up to you and me. We need to get our act together. We need to turn, make the world right. But Isaiah is saying something else. Henry Nouwen puts it well. He says Christmas is saying yes to a hope based on God's initiative, which has nothing to do with what I think or with what I feel, 
Christmas is believing that the salvation of the world is God's work, not mine. And so Isaiah is proclaiming this news of the child to come. And he gives these names that we've been looking at. Last week we looked at Wonderful Counselor, which spoke of the Messiah's miraculous strategy to overcome the darkness. It more focused on his wisdom, whereas the name this morning focuses on his power, mighty God. If you were told of a Messiah, a hero who would come to rescue you, you would want to know he was powerful enough to do something about it. If you're drowning in the ocean, you want to know that the lifeguard is strong enough not only to swim to you and get you, but to pull you back to safety. And Isaiah is saying, yes, this child is mighty. This child is powerful. This child is strong. And this child is Jesus, as we see revealed in the New Testament. And it's Jesus who said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus reveals God in a unique way. The mighty power of God is seen and revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. God come in the flesh as a baby. Now the power, the mighty power of this child is seen from the very beginning of the of this story of Jesus, from his conception. We're told Mary was a virgin, uh, which means the prospects of her having a baby is biologically impossible. And yet, this child was uniquely conceived, unique to any other child that's ever come into the world. It was supernatural. It was miraculous. We're told in Luke's Gospel in chapter 1 that Mary understands the impossibility of this. She says to the angel, how can this be? How can I be pregnant? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Even there, we, are, we see a glimpse of the mighty God who is to come. The power of the Holy Spirit. Power to conceive in the womb of the virgin. Tremendous power. Now, this is a miracle that is hard for some people to believe. But Madeline Leingold, the author, writes this, that the virgin birth has never been a major stumbling block in my struggle with Christianity. It's far less mind-boggling than the power of all creation stooping so low as to become one of us. The power of all creation, you think of the God who created all things, and to imagine him coming to earth in the form of a baby, her point is that that's much more miraculous than the idea of a virgin giving birth. So the power of this child is evident in his conception. The power of this child is on display also in his birth. And it's not that Jesus as a baby is so strong and powerful. Uh, you might think of the image like, you know, a baby that comes out and is lifting boulders or lifting weights. That's not the kind of power we're talking about. Right? Jesus was a baby, meek and mild. Uh, it, it, and it's certainly not that his family was powerful or prestigious. May, uh, Mary and Joseph were, were poor. The power of the child on display at his birth is really seen in the audience present. 
actually seen in the announcement itself. Uh, yesterday morning, we had our men's fellowship at the Commons. We had a great group of guys there, and John Morgan uh, shared from Luke 2 with us, talking about the glory of God, talking about, speaking about the angels who made the announcement of the birth of Jesus. There in Luke's gospel, we see the angels announcing Jesus' coming as a baby, and that the shepherds in the fields were filled with great fear. Filled with great fear. And we're told at one point that this multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Now that Greek word for host there is a military term. I want you to imagine an army of angels. The power on display at the announcement of Jesus' birth would have caused all of us to fall flat on our faces. Overwhelming power. Because of the birth of this baby boy. And as we see Jesus' ministry continue as he grows up, becomes an adult, begins his public ministry. In Luke's gospel, Jesus, after going into the desert, when he begins his ministry, we're told that he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. There, the power of the Spirit is present in this Messiah. And Jesus explains what his power was for as he goes to the synagogue and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. He reads these words that explain what his power was intended to do. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here, Jesus is telling us that the mighty God to come is the one who is to free us from our captivity and enslavement. And we begin to see it in the ministry of Jesus as you read through the Gospels. Later on in chapter 4 of Luke, Jesus encounters in the synagogue a man with a demon. He's possessed and he cries out. This demon cries out and says, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebukes the demon saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And everyone who was there was amazed. And we're told later in verse 36 that they were saying to themselves, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. Here, the mighty God that Isaiah spoke of is displaying his great power in his ministry And the crowds were flocking to him. You may be familiar with the story of the woman who had uh, been uh, had a a disease, was bleeding for twelve years, and despite the crowds of people, she worked her way through the crowd simply to touch Jesus's garment. She knew if she touched him, she would be healed, and that's exactly what she does. She touches him, she's healed, and we're told in the story that Jesus realized power had gone out from him. And he turns around and he asks, who touched my clothes? 
we begin to see how the power of the mighty God was being revealed in the ministry of Jesus, even to the extent that Jesus raised people from the dead. Many of us know the story of Lazarus. Maybe you don't know the the less well-known story of the widow's son who was dead, and there's the funeral procession, and Jesus, we're told in Luke 7, saw the woman, had compassion on her, goes over, touches the dead body of her son, and we're told that he says, young man, I say to you, arise. And we see the power of Jesus As this man gets up and begins to speak and Jesus gives the woman back her son. Jesus, in a nutshell there, is showing what he came to do, the mighty God. What he came to accomplish in his ministry, in fulfilling his destiny. Now, why didn't people embrace him? Why didn't everybody fall on their knees and follow him? Well, there's, there's probably several reasons for that, but I think a major reason is that Jesus, in his power, did not come to fulfill the expectations of the people. He came to fulfill the expectations of his Father in heaven. See, the people had an agenda for Jesus that was different than his agenda. The people wanted the Romans kicked out of Israel. If you remember at that time, Israel was a conquered nation. The Romans were in charge. And they were longing for the day when David's throne, David's power, would be realized again in Israel. The Romans would be kicked out, and Israel would be a powerful nation. And they believed that the child Isaiah was prophesying in 9 verse 6, would come in as mighty God in that military power, destroy Israel's enemies, and reestablish their national glory. That's what they were looking for. That's the kind of power they wanted, and they weren't seeing that in Jesus. Jesus didn't display his power in, in those ways. He was displaying his powers by conquering Satan, by exercising demons, by healing the sick by forgiving sins, by raising people from the dead. They believed their biggest enemy was Rome. But Jesus came defeating their true enemy, death itself. Jesus came to show in his power that life in the end wins. John Calvin, in his commentary on Isaiah 9, puts it this way, with good reason does Isaiah called Jesus strong and mighty, mighty God, because our contest is with the devil, death, and sin. Enemies too powerful and strong by whom we would immediately be vanquished if the strength of Christ had not rendered us invincible. Thus, we learn from this title that there is in Christ abundance of protection for defending our salvation so that we desire nothing beyond him, for he is God who is pleased to show himself strong on our behalf. And this is exactly what Paul tells us when speaking of the ministry of Jesus and the power displayed in his ministry, particularly in the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul speaks of God's power revealed in the forgiveness of sins and the defeat and forgiveness that we, defeat of death and what we receive in Christ through the cross. Paul says that he set aside this, all our sin, 
Nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And this is why, friends, it's so hard to embrace this Christ child, this mighty God in his power, because his power is revealed in ways that are different than what we want him to be. We want him to fix all our problems. He, we want him to make the world a better place right here and now. We want him to solve the issues that we're dealing with. And yet he comes in power and in weakness. And it's counterintuitive to what we would expect. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, instead of riding into battle with full military garb, with colorful, impressive uniform, he rode into open battle stripped and naked. And instead of slaying his enemies, riding a mighty horse, he slayed his enemy by hanging on a tree. And instead of cutting down his enemies with a sword in hand, Jesus destroyed his enemies with nails in his hand. See, the power of Jesus is revealed in the fact that he gave up his power for us. And we don't like that. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. This morning, that's the best news I can offer you is that the mighty God came and died for you and gave up his power for you and that in that power was raised to life. That the mighty God, the, the Christ child, revealed his true power through his resurrection. That it was through death and that journey through death that Jesus in power was raised to life. As Paul says in Romans 1, his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And this is so difficult is because it's the same path he calls us to. It's the same path he calls you to. When we look at Jesus, mighty God, and when we want him to make our life better and make our life simple, we are missing the point. Because he's calling us on the path of death. He's calling us to the path of humility. He's calling us to the path of giving up power. Because that is when his power is demonstrated in us most powerfully. That's when the power of Jesus is demonstrated in you most profoundly. So as you contemplate and think of this Advent season about the power of God in your life, because some of you are longing for God to answer your questions, fix your problems, make the world a better place. And Jesus is saying, okay, come die. Follow me. Give up trying to fix yourself. And let my power come into your heart, into your life, and begin to change you. You see, as we look at his ministry and we see the ways that Jesus healed and forgave and displayed his power, that can be true of you.
today. Jesus still works that way. I've seen it. Some of you have seen it. And so when I am confronted with this truth, when my, my, when my wife asks me to do something that I don't want to do, that puts me out, when I had other plans, I have to stop. I have to realize that war within me, the flesh and the spirit, that Jesus is offering me life when I die to my agenda. I give up that power that I want. I let God's power work in me. I seek to serve. I seek in humility to pursue relationship with people that maybe I don't want to pursue relationship with. Paul tells us in Ephesians 3 that now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Do you know this morning that God's power, the power of the mighty God, the Christ child spoken of in Isaiah 9-6, that that power is available to you as you open up your heart to him, he, through the Holy Spirit, works in you. And that hope is present and true. And so I would like us for a few moments just to take some time to, to reflect, to pray. I want to guide you, guide you through uh, a few moments of silent prayer. And the band can come up as we uh, prepare for the final song, but but just settle your hearts and your minds, and with me, would you spend a few moments reflecting? What what is it in your life that you want to see the power of God revealed? In what situation? In what circumstance? Would you like to see the power of God, the power of Jesus? Revealed. Spend a few moments reflecting on that. And now bring that to God. Seek Him. Ask Him to work. Maybe it's in your own heart. Maybe it's in the heart of someone else. Maybe it's in your circumstances. Now take a moment and just thank him for the ways he has displayed his power in your life and the lives of others. And thank him for the ways he has answered your prayers and will answer your prayers in the future. Lord Jesus, thank you for the ways that you have revealed your strength in our lives, in my life. Father, I put my hope in you. And I bring you all of my, my weakness, my shame, my guilt, my unmet expectations. And I glory in the fact that you love me, that you love each and every person here. And so we celebrate that this Advent. That is the hope we have to pierce the darkness, Jesus. And we hold on to that. And even in the struggle, we will not let go because we will keep our eyes fixed on you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.